Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. With every conversation, we hope to inspire as many as possible to keep on Dungeon Mastering. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac, and today I have Michael from the RPG Academy on because we are going to be talking about the Marvel Multiverse role-playing game that just came out and how you could take that adapt it and use it in your DD games or use the characters in DD, but just making your game a little bit more marvelous and for our patrons out there while i continue to work on editing and making the new ap that we're going to be dropping over there as good as it can be i'm going to go ahead and drop the the custom version of the Barbarian's Path of the Totem Warrior that I made for my Dwarven Barbarian character that I play in that actual play. So you can check that out on the Patreon right now. But with that out of the way, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. So today for the meet, we have our gold jacket wearer, none other than Michael from the RPG Academy. We're jumping straight in. If people don't know who you are, shame, shame on them. No shame, though. Shame on them. And shame on me for not being enough of a person who does everything I can everywhere to make people know who I am. I know you even when I, I'm going to jump the gun a little bit here because I don't remember the last time you're on. You were on. Could I have looked that up before we started recording? Absolutely, but I did not. So I'm going to assume that people don't know about the other podcast. And that is to then make a joke about what you just said to say, I know I'm at work work, but we should make a podcast at work work then. <laughs> and believe me, I've tried everywhere I've worked and I have yet to successfully get there. Get there. Um, so well done. Well done, sir. I, I have. Yeah, I have successfully made a work work podcast. Well, can you tell me a little bit about that? And then we'll jump into a surprise question after that. Sure. It's called uh, Healthy Minds Alliance. It is from the Healthy Minds Alliance organization, which is underneath the umbrella of the Health 360 Inc. Corporation. And this is an organization that works with AmeriCorps to put AmeriCorps service members, volunteers into local communities to spread ed mental health education and awareness. And so that is what I do. I'm an AmeriCorps service member with the Corbin School of Innovation. And one of my duties there is I'm a support staff. So I just help, I'm not a teacher. I just help out generally with all the kids and do stuff. Uh, but I also teach youth mental health first aid. And I now have a podcast where I interview other people who are in the mental health field. And we talk about what we do, how we can do a better job, how people can get involved and help out. And it is called Healthy Minds Alliance. It is literally Dungeon Master advice for mental health. You, have, you, mm. I guarantee you so much of the interviews you've done prior to this, you're just like, well, we're just talking about a different thing. That's all. Let's go. Kind of, yeah. There's a lot of just uh, listening and responding. And that is everything you do when you're a game master. You listen to what the players do and then you respond by what the world, how it reacts to them. And it just goes back and forth like that. Perfect. Well, there'll be a link in the show notes to that. And the question I have, and I feel bad for not shouting it, but Excelsior, because we are going to be <laughs> talking about Marvel. But that leads me to my surprise question, because I think it's surprising how little I know about this question about you, because 
Oh. All of the all of the times we talk about comics, it's DC. I'm on Farm to Fable. We're talking about Whelmed. We're to uh, Young Justice. So I have no idea. Who is your favorite Marvel character? Who that that is a question today. that who is Who is your favorite Marvel to, character today? I'll even Okay. Are we going to say comic book character or Marvel Cinematic Universe character because those are different answers? Then me. yes, I would love both answers. Oh, see, as a as a kid, uh, I collected comic books in the '80s. Every Wednesday, I would go to my local Rite Aid because I wasn't I was I was living again very small rural town in Southeast Kentucky. Did not have a comic store anywhere near me, but the local Rite Aid had a little place where you could buy like magazines, and they got a few comics. Fantastic Four was one of my absolute every week had to get Daredevil, Incredible Hulk, and Iron Man. Those are probably the four that I absolutely got into. And then actually West Coast Avengers, which I don't know a lot of people are familiar with them. Uh, it was sort of an offshoot of the Avengers that only ran for like a mm-hmm. hundred issues. I collected all of those religiously. So probably I would say as a whole, the Fantastic Four is my comic book favorite team. Uh, and within that, it would be Mr. Fantastic. What a, what a bummer for you going to the movie theaters, but continue. <laughs> Yeah, it's been it's been rough. Yeah. But within the MCU, my favorite character is actually Captain America. I think that what they did with that character and how Chris Evans portrayed them on film, and obviously there's a lot that goes into it, the, the roles they were given, the, what they could bounce off of, the other actors, everything combines together. But I just think, you know, Captain America was a character I did not care at all about in the comics, and I love those Captain America movies and every, every time he's in any of the other movies, I love him. So absolutely movies, Captain America, comics, Fantastic Four slash Mr. Fantastic. I like it. I was a ride or die Wolverine from, from jump. It just, it always was. And I don't know what part of it spoke to me, part of that character, but um, especially with the, with the comics, it was definitely Wolverine. And I would say that's obviously given Hugh Jackman's portrayal. That was one Mm. of the shining lights of that entire run. I mean, to the point where they're still asking that guy to keep showing up. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. But if it was the MCU, oh man, that's a, that's a tough one. I don't, because I realized in hindsight, like I don't know that I approach those movies the same. Like I don't, I don't know that I've ever thought much about it, but I think I got to go with Groot uh, just because that character lends itself to just do really interesting character development things because mm-hmm. basically you just have to ask Vin Diesel to say, I am Groot a few yep. more times. So that, cause you have that second season of the baby Groot show that's coming out, but it also like technically that could be live action because he would just be CG if he was in a live action. <laughs> so like those right. are Canon. And then it's like the things that happen in those are really interesting, but then you have the latest version. That's technically not the group we started with, or even the baby group we're watching, but like, his pseudo son because it's just a tree. Yep. And I'm just like, yeah, that's really interesting. Like, I mean, maybe it's like the, the most comic book part of that is what probably drawing me to that character. Um, because there's just, there's a lot of limitations when it's a real person that has to yep. keep looking at. Cause if you look at, if you look at Hugh Jackman from X-Men one and the way he's about to look in Deadpool three, that is a hilarious comparison. Oh, in, um, uh, what was the one, um, Days of Future Past, oh, yeah. that like kind of opening scene where he's in like the 60s and gets out of the waterbed. He doesn't look human. No. You know, like Hugh Jackman in the first X-Men looks like a dude. In that movie, he looks like a thing. Yeah. And it is an incredible, impressive transformation. And then, I mean, 
to go to go full nerd. I mean, as many of our listeners may know, the reason he looks that way in the first one and actually had to adjust his wardrobe throughout filming is because he was a late addition. So the entire time they're filming, he is just trying to get as yoked as he can. So like, mm-hmm. if you look at that movie, you're like, he doesn't. He will literally not look the same throughout that movie. Um, not that he looks the same on any subsequent movie either. Sure, but um, especially that one. So, just to, before we get off the comics thing, I, one thing I do want to mention because I am absolutely a comic nerd. I, I don't really read them anymore. I'm I'm so far removed. I read them in the '80s, early '90s, and I kind of dropped off. Like I I still like I'm feel part of that community, but I don't actively read. So there's so much I don't know about things. But there was a, a series in the 80s. It was an offshoot of Marvel called The New Universe. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Maybe people listening might. It was like four or five or six different comic runs that essentially were supposed to take place in the in the quote-unquote real world. So like in those oh. comics, they would talk about things like the Spider-Man comic book. So these were supposed to be real people. And there was an event. They called it the White Event. Uh, it, over time, we learned what that was. And basically infused people in the real world with powers. And there was a series on there called the DP7. It stands for Displaced Paranormals. And there were seven of them originally. And it's kind of like an X-Mini sort of thing. It's just normal people that certainly have superpowers and they're trying to figure out how to deal with it. I love DP7. I have every issue of the run. I think there's only like 30. And then when the line didn't do well, they they kind of wrapped it all up into like a big crossover event called The War. And I have two of those. There are four total. I just, every time I go to a comic book store, I look for them. Nice. If I ever find them, I'm going to grab them. Like I'm sure I could go online and find them, but there's, there's something about the hunt that is exciting for me. Uh, and the same thing with West Coast Adventures. I have... I think there's 102 issues plus two or three annuals. I think I have like 90 of them. There's like 10 random issues I can't seem to find. So again, I don't go to the internet too easy. So every time I go to any comic book store, I'll look for them and just try to pick those up to complete those. So I don't really buy comics currently, but I still every now and then look for back issues in certain places. Well, I will admit that I am not current on Marvel. I got current for a little bit and then um, they put out a lot and I just can't, I can't maintain. I am current and deep into everything that is TMNT right now. So then mm-hmm. like the IDW series, any spin that they have out of that, everything that's lost Ronin, the Usagi ones when they jump out, uh, the Street Fighter one, we don't have to talk about it. Please move on. And Bison wants to steal uh, Raphael's rage to make a rage bomb. Like that's the mm. conceit of the, I don't, mm-hmm. uh, Stranger Things TMNT. I mean, so they've, they've definitely figured out how to market that to a whole new generation. But yeah, so that's my that's my mainstay. Okay, so surprise questions are out, and okay. you brought up this topic to t- to talk about, and I am very fascinated from a myriad of ways because I am the kind of person that has a tendency to look at a lot of things and ultimately still just play Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, fair. In fair. the in the sense that there's a lot to be learned because. I don't, there's, this is just, in my heart of hearts, this is true, and please argue if you think it's any different, but there is, with as strong as the D&D brand is, there are certain risks they are no longer willing to take with that brand, Um, and I feel like 4th edition was a big risk, I think it was flawless in its mechanical execution, but it was so divergent from what people, air quote, knew, that I think that they are less willing to take large leaps just because they're you're going to disenfranchise someone when you do that Mm -hmm. even to the point where with the new iteration coming out they walked back lining up all the subclasses 
So I really think so then I get really interested in something that is willing to take that leap so that I can learn and adapt what I can back and forth uh, between the two. So Mm -hmm. I don't know that that helped the conversation. I am just then telling you what the things that are in my brain um, (laughs) by using my mouth. But the thing that is most interesting to me, and I think it's the best place to start because I think it is one of the showcase elements of the system, is that we are not going to use a D20. We're going to be using six uh d616 correct uh but before i jump another i do want to take a quick step sideways because yes. again it wouldn't be michael if there wasn't tangents i i was a big part of the the next play test when, when before fifth edition came out it was called D next and there's a lot of play tests and i was pretty actively involved because the podcast had just started like if you go back and listen to our rpg academy podcast from the beginning we're talking about the next play test because it had came out within like i don't know three weeks of us starting a podcast they did a lot of very interesting and I think innovative things in those play tests that did not come to the game. There were so many things that I was disappointed. Like I love fifth edition, but there were so many things that they were doing in the play test that I thought were so cool and was so disappointed that they didn't hit that I have not paid one iota of attention to the one play test because I assume the same thing is going to happen. They're going to throw out a bunch of stuff that's really cool. People are going to talk a lot about it. But when first or when D&D one comes out, I think it's going to be its own thing. And it's just it's a waste of time and energy for me to get upset or excited either way. I have not touched one second of a word about any of the one play tests. So just in case that's something you're into, I have no knowledge. I cannot contribute to that conversation at all. I would say that that is a healthy and intelligent approach to everything that is described as a beta or a play <laughs> test. That just you do not hold you do not just like any prep you have when you start your D and D session. You hold you know you can love that thing, but do not hold it too tight. Yeah, hold it lightly. Yeah, it may yes. disappear. Okay, so yeah, so uh, so we're here today to talk about the new Marvel superhero game. It's called Marvel Multiverse. 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 It's a lot of money. Multiverse. RPG, uh, affectionately known as the D616 system. Uh, so that works on three D6s. So you're on three D6s, which a lot of other games, uh, particularly like the Fantasy Age, Blue Rose, Modern Age, uh, Dragon Age, use that system. Uh, theirs is different. So basically the way this works is your, your one die that has to be unique is the middle die. So you have three D six, they can be whatever you want. One of them should look differently. Um, if you are dumb like me and you buy everything Marvel branded, they have a Marvel branded die that you can buy. Uh, the thing that is unique about that die is that the one on that die says Marvel. So if you use your own dice at home, it would say a one, but you would have to remember the middle one if it comes up one, that's not a one, it's a Marvel. And a Marvel equals six. So basically you're playing with a six-sided dice that has two sixes on it. It goes six, two, three, four, five, six. So when you roll your die, you're going to put them in that order. The middle one always has to be the special one. And the best result you can get is a six, one, six. Now the six counts, or excuse me, the one counts as a six. So you're getting an 18 total, but it's a it's a special result if you get the 616. It basically activates what you would think of as a critical success. I think in the game they call them fantastic successes. Mm-hmm. I think that's dumb. It should be called a marvelous success because it's literally right there in the name. Uh, but if you're playing at home and you roll three sixes, that's 18. That's great. But it's not as good as a 616. Both of those are 18s, but one of those would be considered a marvelous success, or excuse me, a fantastic success. Not to say you have to get 616 to get a marvelous success, as long as that 
middle die says Marvel and you are successful, it is still a critical hit. So you get a nine. If you only needed an eight, it still hits. And if that middle die shows the Marvel symbol, then it, it activates that critical hit. I think I explained that poorly. Did you keep up? You did not explain it poorly. Uh, so if we wanted to explain it even more so, if you look at rolling your D20, your results are on the die one to 20. It is yep. it, ta-da. And if you roll this set, basically your options are four to let's say 19, just because three sixes is 18. And if we just want to numerically give something different in our heads, because it is a fantastic success, a 19, um, when you get six, one, six. The other thing that's interesting is that pulling from, you know, those other systems, when it says Marvel, you can still fail and still get some intrinsic benefit because you rolled the Marvel die. I mean, it could either be something very difficult or you just rolled really poorly on the other two, which um, we, we know all too well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Happens. Dice are angry. Yeah, basically 3D6 gives you a much uh, more a bell curve. You're much more likely to hit your middle numbers where a D20 is completely linear. You're just as likely to roll a 2 as you are a 19. Uh, so the die has a lot more weight behind it than like your bonuses, especially like in D and D game where at first level, you might have a plus four to something. If you are, you know, proficient and you have high stats, that kind of thing, maybe five, if you got like an 18 in a thing or something. So you roll a three on a D 20, doesn't matter. You're still going to miss, but with three D six, each D six averages out to 3.5. So you're going to average like a nine to 12. Now with it being a six and then a two, three, four, five, six, that messes with that math. I don't, I'm not smart enough to figure it out on the fly, but basically you're weighted much more heavily to hit middle numbers. And then, so your modifiers are more important because that has a bigger impact on your total number for successes or not. So it basically makes your individuality stats more important than in a D&D game where the D20 is actually just more important than anything because it's such a big swinging number. And I want to focus on one of the reasons we're discussing this, I feel like as much as we are, is because it is one of the more interesting key elements that you could take from this and literally just change your D&D game. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying you should by any stretch of the imagination but if you do if you do have players that do not enjoy that swing which some don't i mean to the point where part of dm based advice becomes if you are not comfortable with the player rolling a one or a 20 on a check don't have them roll because inevitably they will roll a one or a 20 on that check so if you you could pull this dice based system directly into D &D and all of your numbers are just a little bit higher honestly and then everything else, I mean, there would be virtually nothing you would have to change. Would the math break at points? Sure. The math breaks at points anyways. So if if you wanted those partial successes based on that die, or you wanted that, you know, the element of 616 um, and all of those things. So yeah, if you if you were to import a 3D6 system into D&D, you would actually, your characters would be more successful overall. Because you're going to have, you're again, you're going to hit the middle numbers nine to twelve much more often than anything else. Uh, most of your DCs are probably going to be between twelve and eighteen, unless they're doing you know like really high cosmic stuff. So you're, you should see a greater success over time. That is actually just to jump in the D and D world. This is one piece of advice I've, I've recently started adding into the like when I do panels and stuff on DMing. If you're a newer dungeon master or game master, and you're not sure how to set a DC, like like player wants to do something, and you're just like I. I don't know. Should that be a 15? Should that be a 30? I don't know. Uh, Just tell the player to roll because most of the time or a third of the time, they're going to roll so low 
that you can just say they failed. You don't have to worry. You don't have, you don't even have to decide what the number was because they're going to roll between a one and a seven, and you're going to go, oh no, that's that's definitely too low. A third of the time, they're going to roll high enough. You're going to get 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, that you're like, okay, yeah, that succeeded. And then only a third of the time are they going to roll in the middle and you still got to figure out in your head if it's a success or not. So two thirds of the time, you don't even have to do the mental load to figure it out. Just have them roll and then upper, lower third. And then if it's a middle third, then you got to make up some stuff. It's what I do where, because inevitably, you know, even if it's a pre-written module and I have a, a strict DC in front of me. Oh, we're going to lift the veil. We don't have to talk about how Neil plays his games. Um, so the idea also of like I, every stat doesn't have to be set in stone. It can be. But at the same time, my players are just so used to everything that like I'll just mess with stuff just because it keeps me on my toes. It keeps everything more mm. interesting for everyone involved. So I'll let a DC set it almost set itself based on a roll. That's my other mm -hmm. third. So one third is they roll too low. The other third is they've rolled too high. The middle third is like, okay, then that's the DC. We're done. You met it, and that's the set DC, and we'll just move on from there. I don't care what the monster stat block said. That's or 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 you failed, and then the, and then now I know where it is. But yeah. Also, that reminds me. But Neil, what if I really enjoy advantage and disadvantage? What will happen when I move this dice system over to my game? So they have a system called Edge and Trouble, which essentially mirror advantage-disadvantage. If you are rolling your 3d6, your 616 as it were, and you have an Edge, that means you get to re-roll one of your d6s. Uh, even if you end up with a lower result, you stick to the higher one. So just like Advantage, you, mm -hmm. if you roll a 4, re-roll it, you get a 4, or excuse me, you get a 3, you get to keep the 4. You're not punished by re-rolling. But if you happen to roll better then you would be able to take the better number. If you've already got a pretty high number, but you didn't get that marvelous result, you could choose to reroll the one in the middle, even if it technically wasn't your lowest, trying to get that one, which then would become a marvelous result. And then even if you roll poorly, if you get a two, it doesn't hurt you. It's only, it's only helpful with an edge. The exact opposite would be trouble, where you have to reroll the highest of your die and take the worst result. Uh, there, the, it flips that. So even though technically a marvel is a one, it counts as a six. So if you rolled a marvel on your middle die, that is the one that the game tells you you must re-roll, even if you had a, like six, you literally had a six, one, six, you would re-roll the one because it's actually your, the best result in that weird configuration. But otherwise, it's just if you get a four or five and a four, you'd re-roll the five. Uh, and then if you end up with a six, you don't get to keep it. You have to stick with a five because you keep the worst result on a trouble. You keep the best result on an edge. It's a lot of fun. And I feel like it's probably in my time at the table. It's one of the things that I think is the most, most often shouted friendly advice of, oh, well, I fit. No, but you had advantage. You try for that critical. Like, Yep. You know, everyone's on board, even myself included. I'm like, no, 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 you had advantage. I don't care that you rolled a 19. You still yep. have an opportunity to roll a 20. Give it a go. And then, and, it, and yeah. I know it doesn't happen a lot, but it happens enough that I have noticed where that happens, where you're like, well, go ahead and roll because you had advantage. Bam, natural 20. Like, yep. it's at least happened enough that it's become anecdotal mm -hmm. that you're right. You always roll, even if you got that 19, because there's no harm in rolling and you are every now and then going to hit that 20 yep. and bam, there it is. Yeah. And from a like even narrative perspective, I really like the idea that that disadvantage doesn't allow in many ways, doesn't allow for that fantastic role. 
Um, you know, because then you, are you down on your luck or, you know, are you having to fight through something? But then when you do have that edge, that it allows for that marvelous. I want to say marvelous. You really messed me up with that. Uh, that fantastic role more often. I don't I don't know where to go. No, I know exactly where to go next because it is by far and away the absolute funniest thing. Also, well, okay, I'll tangent. So one of the interesting things about this is that you can obtain a physical copy. Mm -hmm. Uh, The only other alternatives there are interesting digital copies. PDFs are not a thing. Yep. But you can have it through Kindle. You also have it through uh, several VTTs. And honestly, once it's in a VTT and if it's properly supported, that can be really, really nice because Mm. character creation is easier. Grabbing profiles of superheroes you already know, having the math, the back end math built for you. A lot of things are nice. The only downside is that there is not a PDF. So sometimes accessibility, just even just basic, very basic accessibility uh, is not there just because the even search functions um, aren't there. Yeah. So the stats are the stats are titled Melee, Agility, Resilience, Vigilance, Ego and Logic because that spells Marvel. (laughs) Which I think has oh. to be a throwback to the old Marvel face rip system. Okay. Which is my, like, that That was the second RPG I ever played. It is still one of my favorites, even though it's not, I, I personally don't think it's a very good system, but though I, there's still a lot of love for it in the community. Uh, I still run it on occasion. I've played games with my kids. I've ran it at conventions before. But it became known as face rip because the stats that you use there were like fighting, agility, strength, endurance, reason, intuition, and psyche. And it was face, F-A-S-E-R-I-P. So it became known as the face rip system. So I kind of feel like they did this intentionally, but used the the new version to make it spell Marvel as an homage to face rip, but actually make it say Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will note that like this is an interesting change. And I, I've seen it more so before. I mean, Credit words do in some validity to the idea that larger corporations would be making their own RPGs. That is the only credit I will give to any OGL based scenarios, because at the end of the day, this is the first time Marvel did it in house mm-hmm. um, because every other time that it's, it's taken a shot that a Marvel based, I, you know, a Marvel IP role-playing game has been put out. It's been historically by a different company than Marvel and a different company than the last company that did it. Yeah, TSR did it first with the Marvel superhero gaming, and that's what's kind of known as Face Rip now. And then I think in the 90s, Margaret Weiss Productions, using the Cortex system that Cam Banks designed, uh, released a a short-lived but well-loved Marvel game I think it was just called Marvel Heroic, maybe. I might be mispronouncing that, but it. Uh, this was right around the time Disney and Marvel, Disney bought Marvel, and then that, that license got cut. And then so you can't even find those books anymore. They're not on drive-thru anymore. I found a used copy at a bookstore and bought it, so I would have it. Uh, but I think those are the only two actual Marvel licensed games that I'm aware of over the last 30 years. And then now you have Disney Marvel officially. Now they hired a, a designer, Matt Forbeck is a well-known designer. He's been oh, in the yeah. community for a very long time, but they hired him. He went work with the company and worked with them to develop this game. Yeah. I have in, yeah, if you need his credentials. I stumbled onto when I was doing research for this, I stumbled onto a random YouTuber that was interviewing him and he's been at like every Gen Con for every reason. And for the past like 40 plus years, 
um, because he grew up in that area. So then he was going to the earliest early of them. Mm. Um, and it's definitely, yeah, been in the community and it is, and then his son, because he's been in the community so long, his son ended up writing a lot of the profiles for the superheroes oh. as well. Um, nice. but yeah, let's see. We've got, um, in 1998, you had Marvel superheroes adventure game, uh, is also by TSR using the saga system. Uh, then you have the Marvel Universe one in 2003. So, yeah, they've it's yeah, it's the first time it's in house. So then mm-hmm. I feel like there may be more support for this one than potentially some of the other games, because then you're not having you're probably not having a lot of the same legal loopholes or legal things that you're jumping through. You're yep. you literally can walk next door and be like, I need art for so and so. And it needs to look like this and that. And then it's like, okay, here, put it in. Well, and you have the Disney money behind it where I feel like this game could lose money and still be considered a win. Like, I don't know. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I feel like they've got a very long leash on this game. They're going to support it heavily for a while, even if the numbers aren't there, because basically they got all the other money coming in from all the comics and TV and toys and games and, you know, everything else. Because I know the core book just came out. There's already two additional supplements that are already basically, you can already pre-order them. And I think one of them doesn't come out until next year. So they've got, you know, they have a, a year, like a years long plan of, of releases for this game. And I think it would have to absolutely just crater before they would at least, before they would divert from that initial launch plan. So I think we're going to get several years of support for this game, give it a chance to find an audience, and then hopefully it continues to be made and continues to grow. But I think those other games, well, TSR was around for a very long time, but the, the one in the middle, the one that uh, was on Cortex, was very short. And yeah. that maybe it was successful. It could have been the licensing thing, but it, it basically got one book, one source book, and then died. Yeah, because you have uh, the and you can also start to do what they do historically. I mean, when you had the whole kerfuffle with Fox and the X-Men, they basically Marvel just basically gutted the X-Men out of the 616 storylines for years to the point where I have a poster that's like there's a specific I think it was like 2008. There's a specific year of like the Marvel lineup poster and there is no (laughs) X-Men So that I'm like, wow, we are good. We got weird and we got petty about this. Yep. They did the same thing with Fantastic Four. They yeah. stopped making oh, Fantastic yeah. Four comics because they wanted it back from, was that Fox? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so, yeah, and all that to say, the Cataclysm of Kang is one of that's coming out in the whole Kang dynasty. Mm-hmm. The, it, all of the things revolving around that character already in the MCU. Then the other one is the X-Men as well, which, uh, surprise, surprise, uh, they're going to probably show up before we know it in the MCU because, of course, they are. Uh, right. You don't t- you don't take that back and not figure out how to put them in. So yeah, those things will be there as well. And does that you know does that snake eat its tail and everything drum itself up? Now that we've tangented, like only the two of us can do. I, I think we may have went in a full circle. We tangented right so many times. We circumnavigated the topic and we're back where we started. Speaking of Marvel and the stats before us, I mean honestly, the numbers look super similar as well. Like I I am dangerously close to like trying to just rip one of these into like, it's that close that mm. because if we look, it's 19, 19, 13, 13, 14, 14, I'm staring at Spider-Man, Peter Parker. And so if I can justify that strength is 19, totally reasonable. Dex is 19, totally reasonable. Constitution is 13, totally reasonable. Vigilance. If I want to, I mean, so if we say vigilance and logic, 
We're going to need, let's see, logic is going to be wisdom. Vigilance, I could say, is intelligence. Ego, I can say, is charisma. Mm-hmm. We're there. Welcome. Welcome aboard. And now, basically, it's surprising how close it is. I'm not saying it's not going to be hard to fold some of these things in, but I've been very impressed with how close I feel like this is um, and how easily you could potentially scrub some of the numbers um, and have a superhero in your D&D game tomorrow. And you could try, because there are definitely comic stories where superheroes have gotten sucked into fantastical realms. Uh, you know, the Black Knight, Morgan Le Fay is a, Morgana Le Fay is a character in the Marvel Universe, uh, and often characters get transported to like King Arthurian times and Camelot. So you could just have a Wolverine, a Spider-Man, and a Captain America transported into a magical fantasy realm, and any hiccups between trying to make it work is just part of the magic that got them there. So that's why their powers aren't exactly the same. So you could absolutely try it on like a two or three shot campaign arc of just, you know, basically play the Marvel heroes themselves, but in a fantasy realm, magic and ball, that type of thing, and to see how it works. Uh, One of the ways that that the damage does work uh, that, that you're going to figure out how it works, which I think is actually pretty smart. I do like this in the game itself. We uh, And I, again, quick pitch plug. Um, if you're interested in these games, I have played all three on our podcast. So there's there you can go listen to us playing Face Rip. You can listen to us playing the Cortex version, Margaret Weiss production. And we just this past week recorded a stream that will be on YouTube, I think tomorrow, and it'll be audio only early next week um, of us playing this game, the Marvel multiverse game. So you can kind of hear how each of them works. But the way your damage works is when you make an attack, whatever your middle die is in your Marvel die, it has a multiplier. So like I think Spider-Man, it's like maybe four or five or six for an agility attack. So uh, if you rolled a 15 and your middle die was a five, you're going to multiply five by four and get you to 20. And then you probably have like a secondary additive number, probably two, three or four. And that gives you your total. So Spider-Man swings through and kicks someone in the face, they're going to roll, they hit whatever the middle die is, times four plus two. I'm not exactly right. You're looking at the book. It's going to be something like that. Yep. No, and that's how all of it's it works. Super close, yeah. So you, one thing that does for you is it gives you a wide variance of possibilities. You could roll a two and get 10 points of damage, or you could roll a six or a one, which also count as six, and you could get upwards of 30. So your, your variance of, or your variability between damage on a Spider-Man kick is like a 20 to 30 point spread between the low end and the high end. Uh, and also I've noticed that a lot of the powers also inflict conditions. So you have like prone, pinned, grappled, uh, and a lot of spiders like Spider-Man. Again, if you web someone, there's a chance if you roll that quote unquote fantastic or marvelous success, they could also be pinned or grappled or that kind of thing. So that's how the powers work in the game is that if you do well, you do damage. If you do really well, you do damage plus an effect that, that can have another like mechanical effect. So the next attack on them grants you an edge or grants the next person an edge shop of a thing. Yeah. And the powers end up looking going through the powers. It ends up looking like a spell list. Honestly, though, as I search through them, because let's also, I don't, mm, I have personal ideas about, I don't know that I would want to make my own superhero really. Yeah. Like I I, I get it. I totally get it. And it needs to be there. It has to be there. There's no question about that. But for me personally, I'm like, but why? Why wouldn't I just play all these superheroes that I've always wanted to think about being or playing and just just be them? Also, mm-hmm. 
man, that's easy. And then is the forever DM in me who's like, I don't want to work for it. I just want to look at the paper that's done that even has art for me. Yeah, it I looks just, so pretty. I just want to use yeah. that. I don't want to make a character. But the powers really, really felt like spells. And you're almost like selecting a spell list that you can, you know, at will spells that you can basically use through, through combat or non-combat scenarios. Um, and like when you're building it, that's basically you're almost picking like uh, schools of magic that you're allowed to pick. Like it is all of my moves web slinging moves. And so then I pick out of this category and mm-hmm. I do this and this and this and these lead to that. And so it's like a skill tree sort of thing. And, and, and to, you know, follow up on your spell sort of analogy, I don't say half, I, I may be wrong, but a su- substantial number of the powers just happen. You just say, oh, I'm doing this, and then you roll, and if you hit, you do the power. Some of them incur a cost, uh, which in this game is called focus. Every character has a, a point, a focus total based off of a couple of their stats added together type of a thing. You get a focus total. Uh, so some of your spells take spell slots. Some of them are cantrips, if you want to think of it that way. Um, so you can do the same thing three or four times in a row, but you're going to run out of focus at some point, or you can just keep doing the ones that are freebies. If you hit, you hit. If you don't, you don't. Yeah, and there's also tiers of superheroes. This is probably one of the more interesting pieces of it in that, like, so let's say I choose. Um, okay, I would say that, but let's change it. Clearly, it's not who I'm going to choose. I'm going to go choose the person that I will choose because I'm going to choose Wolverine. So mm-hmm. I'm going to choose the Logan version of Wolverine, and he is currently set at rank four. That's pretty much the end of the discussion. He's not going to level up to rank five per se in theory i could start him out at a lower rank and work my way up to it but for the most part a lot of the superheroes start out at the rank that they are going to then forever be Mm -hmm. um so then it is on then the narrator as the you know dungeon master equivalent is called here to make interesting stories for them to play through because there's not a lot of mechanical character progression in this system that i can see yeah, no, it doesn't seem like you really, like, and you're not going to level up. You're not going to get increased powers. There are ways to add additional spell slots. Like, you know, you can you can go further down the tree over time. I don't recall exactly how that would work with a character that you created. I know you get so many that you can get initially at creation, but I don't really know how the leveling up works. It might be like spending a resource type of a thing. But I, I really don't think, I think for superhero games, it's more about, exploring different things that your powers can do. Like the, the example I always think of is like Cyclops learning that he can bounce his eye beams off of things. You know, he could always do that. He just, he just realized it. So maybe over the course of a game, you, your character who can shoot eye beams learns they can bounce them. And it's like a harder roll or something. I don't know. But yeah, the ranks are interesting because it's, 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 at one point, it's just sort of a way to measure characters against each other. Uh, Captain Marvel is a rank six. I think that I think six is the highest in the core book. Currently, yes. Currently, yes. I'm sure that will change with Kang and some others. So it's just a way to look and go, oh, this character is more powerful than the other. But there are some mechanical effects that relate to rank, uh, like the number of, I think, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but I think maybe karma, which is a resource you can spend to do things like heal up in the middle of a battle rather than resting. I think you can, you get so much karma based on rank. And there's at least a couple mechanical things that your higher rank gives you more of a thing, but I'm, I can't remember exactly what the specifics are, but it does have a mechanical effect as well. And from there, you could also, like, I, I saw, like, let's say we're playing a rank four game and you choose a rank three 
uh, superhero, then you can add on more. Basically, you'll make up the difference by adding more moves to your more moves that you can then use. So like to try and make up that difference. Mm. Or you could start as rank one and you're just like you just get your powers and then find out that you're inevitably this cosmic level being and work your way up to rank six um, through figuring it out and battling and doing all those things. But again, there's a character sheet for Wolverine and I would just play it. So I I, I know what I would do. Yeah. Uh, so one thing I would want to mention as well, because uh, I just thought this came up because we, we, we played this game just a couple of days ago. Damage reduction. Um, the way they do damage direction in the game, I think is pretty pretty smart, is let's say, again, you're Spider-Man, you have a multiplier, but you punch and your multiplier is five. If I have damage reduction of one, that means your multiplier is a four against me. So that's how you equate damage reduction. If someone has a damage reduction of two, you normally have a multiplier of five against me, it would be three. And like if it's so if, if something would, would increase the damage, it adds to your multiplier. If it would decrease damage, it reduces your multiplier. Yeah. I mean, at its core, like I just, it's, it's not hard. It's just, if things are said differently enough, your brain takes a while to process them. Yep. Mine does. All this is, is just telling me that when I punch, it's 5d6 plus seven. So as Wolverine, it's literally just 5d6 plus seven. It just so happens that I'm going to, all of the dice I roll, air quote, are going to have the same number on them. That's, Mm -hmm. that's basically what we're saying here is that your variance is 5d6 plus seven. It's just if I roll a one, it's five. If I roll a six, it's 30. So essentially, yeah, you just you just casting spells out of your hands every, every <laughs> round. Because that's, I mean, because that, and so then you have to, you have to kind of think in those terms, like if that's the kind of thing we're doing. But at the same time, I could almost look at ranks as tiers of play. Yeah. If I wanted to put Wolverine as a four in many ways, then that's the, your higher level, highest levels of tiers of play and then yeah me doing that many around isn't ridiculous because if i think about a fighter or a barbarian that would be roughly the equivalent of wolverine as a character could i pump out you know 37 worth of damage absolutely without question i could push 37 points of damage in a round like that's so then once you start like i said once we start shaving some of the numbers off um, there's a lot that I think that can cross over between the two, be it the dice, be it some of the stats, be it the way the moves work, be it the way that damage works, be it the way that damage reduction works. Cause like, that's a real, like you're saying, that's a really cool element that I could see adding into the D and D game. Where is it? And figuring out narrative reasons why it's for everyone. Because I, if I just say, oh, well, cool. You have, you have a lot of armor, you get damage reduction. Well, that only gave it to one person. So yeah. if you want to say the same thing, it was like, oh, well, your damage reduction is based off of your dexterity being that high, rogue. Your damage reduction, mage, is based on your magical, you know, your magical abilities, so on and so forth. But figuring out different ways to give different people damage reductions um, is also a really interesting D&D element to add, or mm-hmm. element to add to D&D. One thing I'm not sure about, again, because I just I have not read the book, so many times so thoroughly and i have tons of problems with with, with cr challenge rating in D. i basically ignore it anyways but it's at least a shorthand of you know a challenge rating four four of those things is a good battle for a party of fourth level characters like really really rough math i don't know how that works in this game 
So like we, when I played the other night, I had some aim agents. We had the vulture showed up for a minute, and then they, the big battle was against Doc Ock. I think Doc Ock was a rank four. Again, I may not maybe wrong. I don't know if like is a rank four villain. Is that a good fight against four characters at average rank four? Or is that too powerful? Or should I have had a bunch of minions? Like, I, I don't know. And I don't know the book. If it did tell me, I don't remember. But that's the one thing I'm not sure how to balance a good encounter based off of the ranks. I don't know how those work in comparison to each other. So if I have, a, if I have four characters and the average rank between them is four, is a single Doc Ock a good bad guy? Or do I need the whole Sinister Six to make it a fair fight? From what I saw of online play and things like that, it does seem like because what would be stopping you from playing Doctor Doom as a character? I mean, narrative. That's that your narrative is the only thing. So, in theory, you know, you know, certain certain characters are going to be better against others, even if their rank is the same. But from what I saw, oh, you got to add more because it, they be, for the same reason that I like adding more when I play D anD D because if I do one dragon. Uh, short of legendary actions it's just me punching a couple times and they're getting punched a whole bunch of times right right yeah and then the action and economy is against you yeah hopefully i get to punch them again later uh, um but i might not be able to uh so yeah what i saw they were doing like a couple doom bots and then eventually added doom at the end but yeah but, but what's that math should it be even ups should it be three quarters are they really good and i need to go above them and right. then that's my other thought was, okay, what if I had a five and they're fours? What if I had a six and they're fours? Like, is this, you know, what to going back to like, what's the curve on this? Is it, right. a, you know, exponential curve or is it more of a linear curve? And I can do better math with that. Right. So is two rank twos equal to a three or is it four rank twos is equal to a three? And then, yeah, so it may be in the book. I didn't see it. And I don't, I mean, because there's there's a, a little section on the on the GMing, but I don't remember seeing that in there. So if it's in there, I apologize, I missed it. But that's something I definitely would want some more info on. And I will say, I'm on some Reddit threads. Uh, there's definitely some subreddits where people are making characters that aren't in the book. Mm-hmm. Whether their math holds, I don't know. But if you if there's a character in the book that you don't that you want that's not there, go to Reddit. Someone's probably made it already. Yeah, and I have to imagine that that's. The holdouts on those are to make the, you know, the other books that come out. Oh, yeah, that's that, all it that, is. They're, they're waiting to sell them to you later. They're, yeah, they're not so keeping I mean, anything from you. Yeah, at that point, like, once you have the core rule book, I mean, really at that point, the benefit of additional source materials are more villains, more heroes, and telling me how to play this game in the sense of, like, write me a module. So you want to put that X-Men one out. Okay, so then am I at the mansion and I'm dealing with that? Or am I at the mansion and that's my hub and I'm going out on missions from there? Because, yeah, I do feel like that's one of the bigger things that's missing from the core book is like, oh, and it happens with a ton of core books. I'm like, okay, what? What do I build? (laughs) It'd be like, it'd be like, here, Michael, I have this Ziploc bag full of Legos. They're the coolest pieces you've ever seen. Goodbye now. And he's like, (laughs) oh. But what do I what do I build with them? Whatever you want. Oh, uh oh, okay. And they're like, oh, yeah. later. Oh, hey, for this additional monies, would you like these directions on how to build something very specific? Yes. Why? Yes. Yes, yes I would. Yes, I would. Thank you. Yeah, that's uh, you know, there's you know, we when we played our game, there were a couple of characters that really wanted to explore more social and exploration type stuff. Like if there's a mystery, like, you know, you're playing a, a daredevil type story where you're trying to figure out, you know, there's like a, a, 
a white collar crime side of what's going on. There's not a lot of direction again, from what I remember about how that, you know, you can make logic roles and ego roles, but it's, it's definitely a punchy game right now. And I'm hoping some of those additional books will give us more direction on how to flesh out those other pillars of play to steal the D and D parlance. I like it. Well, did you, since we're getting close on our time, did you have a, an enjoyable time running it? And did you feel like the players had a good time playing it? Absolutely. I, I, I got a chance to play this at, at Gen Con first. Uh, it was like a two hour, very punchy play test. I had a, had a lot of fun. It, it felt to me, I played Daredevil. I've talked about this before, but I played Daredevil. My, my good friend played Nightcrawler. We both did things that we were like, that was that was definitely a Nightcrawler thing that you just did. And that was definitely a Daredevil thing that I just did. So I, the game absolutely lets you do things that are going to feel like things characters should do. You're going to feel like a comic book version of your character that you're playing, or, or you have the ability to, if the dice are in your favor. And I had a lot of fun running it. I, you know, I generally run D and D very cinematically anyways. So we kind of leaned into that. The game does have like movement, there's squares, we, did, we ignored all of that. It was all very in our head, theater of the mind. It all felt like we were playing in comic books. We were referencing like the way the scenes would look and panels. Uh, absolutely. This is a game I will play again and I want to play again. I would actually really like to play like a three or four session mm. arc to really get into some of the meaty aspects of both the role play and the more mechanical bits. So, you know, as you said, I play a lot of games, but I tend to always go back to D&D for any sort of long-term stuff. Uh, this is a game that I want to play long term. It's definitely really interesting. And like you said, I think one of the biggest benefits would be like with those two books that are on the horizon, that hopefully those have basically the equivalent of a module inside yeah. of them, even for the sheer sake of, oh, you, the designers, that's how you think a module should look. Yep. And then at least give me that much to work backwards off of, because at this point I'm with you. I mean, I can come up with stories and even that's difficult because you want to stay true to the characters. And it's like, okay, it's my version of 616. And it's like, like you and I both said, like uh, my version of 616 is probably a decade old, like, mm-hmm. you know, of really knowing what was going on. And yours sounds like it, it, it's older than that. Do we decide that it's more of a comic book feel and we're describing panels or do we feel like it's more of an MCU feel and we're describing scenes Do you, in going on? Do we go so far as to say, like, I want a grid? I there's there's so much there and hopefully i mean like we've both said like it's gonna get this it's gonna get some level of support um because someone convinced someone higher up the chain that it gets the money that it's already gotten oh yeah to produce those books whether or not those there's that return on investment and it goes forward is um yet to be determined that would be my biggest knock on this book is that there is no sample adventure included i think Mm -hmm. that because my question is who is this game for? Mm. I feel like Marvel is like, oh, we have millions of people, you know, we have grandmas who've never read a comic book, but they love the new Marvel movies. They go see the Marvel movies with their grandkids. They go see the Marvels with their kids. It's, it's, a, it's a whole thing that happens now. So can we bring them into this role-play game? But the game is crunchier than I would expect it to be if you're aiming it for people who've never played role-playing games before. So I don't think that's actually, like whether that's the intended audience or not, I don't think that's the audience this game is for. I think this game is for people who've played role-playing games before, but maybe haven't played a superhero game or because of the Marvel movies, they want to get more into into superhero role-playing. And I think a sample adventure, as you said, how does the designer think a game should work? And I think that's missing. 
So I would have absolutely loved it. Even if it doesn't have to be much, like the one I ran, the sample venture, it's like two fights. Like you could have done it like in the old Marvel face rip game. One of the uh, sample adventures is Rhino. Just like you run, you run into Rhino on the street and you fight him. Like that's all there is. We didn't need a 40 page module, but give me a five pager. Give me an intro scene, a fight and a wrap up. Absolutely should have been in this book. Yeah, there's very little in terms of, you know, it gives you the basic structures of playing. I mean, the front part it could basically be the front part of almost any book for any system ever. Um, and then it immediately jumps into like breaking down character profiles, breaking down combat. And it's like, okay, yay. But yeah, yeah so they'll get there. Honestly, let's be, let's be honest with each other. I, for our homework section, as we close out, it's pretty straightforward what your homework should be. And if, if you don't know what your homework is, then you'll have failed this assignment of this entire discussion. So there we go. What is your favorite? But okay, we will do one piece of Marvel that they either need to read, watch, or interact with. What is your one piece of? And it's not even. It's just really just to say what you like the most, and hopefully someone goes and reads it or watches it. So I, I'm gonna stick with, with the movies because that's what I'm into. I I truly think that Avengers: Affinity War and Avengers: Endgame is a perfect film that should not work, but it does, but it only works if you've watched the other 20 movies. So a singular piece, I think Captain America Winter Soldier is the best standalone MCU movie ever. Watch that one. And then there's a there's an Ed Brubaker run of comics that that movie is highly built off of. So then go read the comics that inspired it. So we did one of each. All right, I'm good. I had to come up with the second one. One, go watch X-Men, the animated series. I feel like if something's going to probably get you close to what your games are going to end up being like, it's that. Do all the storylines make sense? No, they no. don't. Do it seem like random? Like, oh, I forgot what we were going to play this week? Yeah, sometimes. And there's a new season coming out um, pretty soon on Disney+. Plus. The one that it got brought up, because again, it you know, hearkening back to like kind of when I started falling out, um, was Avengers versus X-Men. I think that uh, can be a really fun thing because you have so many hero profiles. Figuring out why the heroes may be at odds is um, another really good thing uh, to try and figure out as a narrator. So there you go. Those are the two. But the most important question is where can people go online to figure out what you are doing, sir? So I can still be found on most of the places at the RPG Academy. I'm still active on Twitter, but it is dying. It makes me sad. So I have moved over to Blue Sky. I'm currently double posting everything. So if you follow me either place, you're going to get all the things that I post. Uh, but I see myself moving to Blue Sky permanently and away from Twitter pretty soon. But we also have the RPG Academy website. Everything we we produce can be found there. Uh, we do a show called The Sample Adventures, which is what this the game, the M616 game we did, even though it doesn't make sense because there was no sample adventure. But if you're interested in exploring new games, that's what that is all about. We play a new game using the included sample adventure, if they have one. Uh, it is streamed, then it goes to YouTube, and it's audio only. So whatever version of that you're most interested in, you can check it out. Uh, and I could, I would never forgive myself if I didn't also plug a Catacon, which is the gaming convention that I host. I'm the lead organizer, but basically anybody in the RPG Academy, they help. We run it every year in November in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, we are currently running the Kickstarter. It has a week left. It is already well-funded. But if you're going to come, and hopefully you will, play some games, and you can get a badge early through the Kickstarter, it absolutely helps us the more people that do that. But there will be ways to get badges after the Kickstarter ends, including just buying one at the door if you can show up. Perfect. And I have every intention of being there, but as life goes, there is no certainty. Um, yep. But I have every intention of being there again this year. Um, what I will run 
I do not yet know, but there is almost no way you could stop me from running another session of the Dadlands. Mm. Because that is too funny. Um, and I hope I get another group even half as good as the one I had last year. Um, because they they were over the top. It was everything I needed it to be. Because what it was. Oh, yeah. Because what you choose what kind of dad you are. And I will, I will leave you with the idea. One was like, I'm a rocking dad. And so they're like, oh, sweet. So you play metal? He's like, no, I make rocking chairs. And I was like, you've done it. You have figured it. I don't know what the goal of this was, but you've reached it. You've reached yeah. the goal of exactly what this was meant to be. That's awesome. Um, and it was it was a wonderful time. So I would suggest if you're open to it, the Marvel characters in the fantasy world, D&D, Marvel 616 crossover. Like, why not throw something like that together? It's a perfect place to do it at our convention because yep. it's a one shot with people who are going to be up for that kind of nonsense. Neil Gaiman's 1602 is all you need to know exactly how to do do the two um because mm. basically exactly what you what you mentioned like someone messes with the timeline and so instead of the mutant gene showing up when it does it shows up in the early six early 1600s um and then that's when the characters are, are doing whatever they're doing so there you go um but with that thank you again for coming on and of course i have little doubt we'll have you back on soon i'm Again, I love to talk about games. I love to talk about superheroes and Marvel stuff. So this this was like the easiest thing in the world for me. Getting me to stop talking is the only thing that's hard. And you're going to have to do that because I have other things I have to do today. So you're going to have to shut me up and turn me off here. So do I. We just want to thank Michael again for coming on, sharing with us his expertise in the Marvel multiverse role-playing game, as well as all of the other information that he gave us. And of course, as always, putting on the amazing Akatakon. If you enjoyed what you heard and you've been adapting Marvel to your own games, please email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com and let us know uh, so that we can hear all of the marvelous stories you've been telling. And of course, if you want to go to your podcatcher of choice, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find us, and leave us a rating and review, it is always and greatly appreciated. And of course, you can find us currently on Twitter, aka X, at DMS underscore block. You can find us on fake, fake book. Eh. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, who knows, mm, Blue Sky maybe when we get an invite. Eh. And of course, the Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network where you can check out other shows like Detentions and Dragons, Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, and more. Thanks for listening to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of everyone else at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night, good luck, and keep on Dungeon Mastering. Goodbye.